And so there's always, and so there's another, you know, kind of form of abuse is, well, you know, if you leave, I have nothing to live for anyway. So, you know, and so there was always sort of that going on and um, causing fear. You know, I, I didn't want to leave even, you know, leaving kindly and just saying, I'm sorry, I need to, I need to help you from here, not here. Um, it, it, there was still that conversation that I just, I, I could hear in my head and, and I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with that. Um, and so I did, I kept juggling this, you know, over and over and over. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today. Today I'm joined by Ria, who is based in Cottonwood in Utah. (laughs) <laughs> and that's is that Salt Lake City? Is that what it's, it's called? It's a suburb of Salt Lake City, Cottonwood Heights. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. Great, great. Uh Rhea is a transitionist, a Reiki master and energy worker and herbalist. <laughs> amongst other I do things. a lot of things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amongst I was looking at your list going, Oh my god. <laughs> so busy. Rhea is gonna be sharing her story about being in a relationship with someone we bipolar. If you're listening to us, have an open mind, and we hope you can learn something from today's episode. Hello, Ria, how are you? I am well. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Um, Yeah. um, I am a a mother of five. they're all adults and, and gone. Um, I am a compassionate caregiver um, that I like to call life doula. Um, I can I take care of people during birth and death and everything in between. That's where this transitionist title came in. Um, mm. I also have a company that teaches and certifies people to be end-of-life doulas. Um yeah, I, I do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I do a little bit with Reiki and energy work and I work with herbs and um, I am actually getting back into school to finish my midwifery degree so I could be a midwife as well. So, mm, yeah. Mm, amazing. <laughs> all, all these professions, all these skills. <laughs> <laughs> they all kind of come together. They, you know, it's, mm. it's um, not as complicated as it sounds. Mm, like they all kind of complement each other. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's great. Uh, yes, before we get going today, we're going to be playing a quick game called One for One. I'll give it a word and you say the first word that comes to your mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Try not to think too much about it. Okay. Uh, because there's, there's no right or wrong. So. Okay. So the first one is permission. Instinct. Beginning. End. Landscape. Monet. What was that word? Monet. Okay. He, he, he's a painter. Oh, is, okay. Okay, I didn't know. Right. Is he famous? I don't know. <laughs> yes, yeah. he's famous. Oh. Okay, uh, I need to study my painting. And um, cave. I'm sorry, what was that? Cave. Um, claustrophobic. And the last one is cotton. Ball. Yeah, that's it. That's the quick game, one for one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have to look up on our painting. Yeah. One one. Never. Yeah. It's not really. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's good. Yeah. And old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I only know a few. When I say a few, probably like three or four. <laughs> so. Super. Yeah, thank you for coming on today. Before we dive into what we're going to talk about today, i just like to start from childhood. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself growing up? Yeah. Ooh. <clears throat> um, uh, touchy subject. <laughs> where do you start? Uh, uh, yeah, where do I start? <laughs> um, I had a pretty, um, you know, normal childhood up until about seven years old. Um, I experienced my first real, um, you know, experience. Yes, big, big event, event uh, with yeah. trauma, basically, um, which kind of wrote the story from there um, at seven years mm. old. So kind of open up a whole new world of um, experiencing abuse and, um, you know, it did. It, it kind of wrote mm. my story for the next 40 years to to kind of be stuck in that space. So, mm. And at that age seven, did you know what was going on? Um, I, I mean, as much as my seven-year-old little brain could process, right? Mm. Um, I did immediately sway into protection mode of my mother. I didn't want to upset her mm. um, or share what, what I was experiencing. Um, and so I, I really did kind of take this protector role where I kept mm. secrets um, of what was happening. So, mm. Yeah. As a child, you often, well, we do end up in roles that Obviously, you're not consciously choosing, this is what I'm going to do. But yeah. this is what we end up doing, whether it's a protector, caregiver, or and many other things. You know, we just end mm -hmm. up in these roles, and it kind of becomes your identity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly did. And that's what you grow up to become, that role. <laughs> 
Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And, and your lessons follow that, you know, those experiences and those identities that we claim, mm. then, you know, it's, it's kind of like this guarantee that we're going to be layering up those, yeah. those lessons that we're bound to learn. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, this is all I know, really. So when, yeah. when you're adult, you're like, oh, this is where I am. But we forget that. Right. This is who you became. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> mm. Unfortunately, that's the fun side of growing up. And um, in relation to being in a relationship with someone with bipolar, so how did you guys meet? Well, um, you know, uh, so this was about nine years ago, a little over nine years ago. Um, and so we were already very enthralled in the world of online dating. And so that's, that's how we mm. met was through a, one of those kind of sites. So, mm. Yeah. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So many now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I'm guessing at the start, at, at the start of the relationship, everything was quote unquote it's, normal. It appeared normal. Um, you know, when, when we met, he was, uh, going through kind of the final stages of a divorce. And so, um, you know, I knew, um, I wanted to kind of keep some, some space there for him to be able to, I knew he was going to be going through some things after all of that. Right. Um, but we just we just kind of fell in love really quickly and i couldn't have stopped it if i tried so and i didn't try to stop it i let it happen <laughs> <laughs> no yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there was no like no oh, it just Everything fell just kinda... into place the way it did and um i knew that there was mm. some you know, trauma that he was experiencing. His his first marriage did not end well at all. Um, there was a lot of, oh, just, you know, the, the backstabbing and the everything that goes along with a really hard divorce. Mm. So, um, so, you know, there was some of that to deal with. Um, and I started mm. seeing signs pretty quickly that there was a problem, but, um, we kind of just thought that we were dealing with some PTSD. Um, he had a pretty abusive upbringing also. And, um, mm. and you know, uh, it wasn't just that though. It was the way the marriage ended and, um, having to work with the, a gentleman that, um, basically ended up with his ex-wife and, and so there was like work issues and, and yeah, a lot, like so much, so <laughs> much drama going on. Right. And mm. so I thought we were dealing with PTSD mm. and, um, you know, really tried to kind of encourage wellness, encourage, you know, forgiveness, encourage, you know, coming into a softer space, but that's me, right. That wasn't, that wasn't his personality at all. And, um, his personality was very much um, just trauma response, being reactive and um, fight or flight. And mm. he was fight, you know, um, and mm. and so we met in June of that year. And by December, um, I had checked him into 
a, well, I didn't, I helped him go to a local psychiatric hospital for a few days to um, kind of get him out of suicidal ideation Mm. um, because he was spiraling pretty bad. And Mm. by then he'd also started drinking alcohol again, which really just made it worse, you know? Um, and so mm-hmm. it was a mm-hmm. lot of this just roller coaster ride where, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd be okay for a while and then we'd, we'd kind of plummet and crash pretty hard and have to kind of work our way back from that. And then he'd crash again really hard. And, um, and do, do you think, sorry, like the, the signs were there? The signs from the beginning, if you like. Definitely. And I think the signs were probably there very much so prominent in his first marriage. Um, and mm. I just don't think that she had the ability to understand what was happening because um, they were raising kids together too. And she had, you know, a whole other dynamic to also mm. focus on. So, um, so yeah, mm. I, I'm, I'm sure that it had been going on for way longer than I experienced it with him. But I do believe that him joining the military um, made it worse. And, mm. and then the way things ended in his marriage made it a lot worse. And um, so I was kind of there for really the peak of, of the, the issue. Um, mm. And we were four years into our marriage before we actually got any kind of diagnosis. This was bipolar disorder. So it, is that because like where you go into doctors and stuff to try and get a diagnosis or was it just left? It was, it was left. I mean, there was a lot of trying to encourage him to, you know, seek help and, and stuff, but um, he, he was already self-medicating, you know, um, cannabis use and alcohol, just, it was pretty prominent in his everyday coping skills. Um, Mm. and so, so it was a lot of denial, a lot of denial. Yes. Yeah. And Mm. you know, the way I approach things isn't, it's a lot more direct now because of, you know, the wisdom that I've stepped into, but, but, um, eight years ago, I, I didn't know how to approach it and I didn't know what was wrong. And so my approach is always very soft and loving and, and like, Hey, you know, let's, Mm. let's start asking ourselves some hard questions, you know, what do you think? (laughs) And really, you know, I, I would just kind of dance around it. And if I felt resistance, um, you know, because of my Mm. experience in life, um, I would, I would kind of, flee from, from, you know, debate or contention. So, um, I think you just wanted things to be easier. I did. Yeah. I wanted some peace. I I am a peaceful person. Mm. And so that's what I was aiming for, but, um, I don't know. I I'm seeing the value in, in speaking up and being willing to kind of Mm. confront something, even if it's uncomfortable. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, even at that stage, before you knew what you knew now, you could see the problem was there. Yes. But a part of you still believed that it would get better. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Um, I just, mm. I kind of started to come into um, feeling like it was um, toxic parenting 
you know, he'd learned parent like skills from his parents that um, weren't very good, you know, coping skills mm, and, mm. and ways to react. Um, his, his dad more than likely had bipolar disorder as well. Um, although I'm not completely convinced that it's a genetic disease. I think it's le- more learned behavior and, and traumatic response. So, um, so, you know, yeah. I mean, we did, we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out new coping skills and, and it would, it would last for, you know, a little while and then it would, it'd be gone. Go back to. Yeah. 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 And, and let me just clarify also, like he wasn't always having bipolar episodes when he wasn't in an actual episode of mania or depression, he was fun and he's an artist. And so he, he sees a lot of, you know, of beauty in the world that, you know, lots of people do not notice. Um, He's mm. fun. He's funny. He's witty. He's super quick, you know. Um, and so, so there was a lot of really good amidst the really bad. You know, we had these really polar dynamics. So, yeah, it's like a very normal, whatever that means. Yeah, and, and then a, it was a, a troubled, a troubled individual. Yes. Yeah. And when you got the first diagnosis after four years. Was it like a relief or was it a case of like, well, we knew this is already like we knew. No, there, there was a sense of relief knowing that there was something, um, you know, definable, I guess. Um, Mm. but the way we found out was awful. I mean, it was traumatic to me. It was traumatic to his children. It was traumatic to my children. Like we found out, um, because he was, his brain was breaking. Um, there was a lot of, like I said, there was a lot of game playing and um, just toxic interaction between him and his ex this whole time. And um, his children had come to live with us um, and they were, they had been there all summer and um, all of a sudden one day, two cops showed up on her doorstep to take the kids back to their mom. And um, she had told the court system that we were unlawfully withholding the children from her. So not true. She, she checked them into the school up the street from my house. She brought all of their belongings their birth certificates, everything they could ever, like they moved in with us. We were not under some mistaken impression, mm-hmm. but there was this game. Right. And so that was the trauma that really kicked off this break in his head. And so, you know, I mean, his kids would like text us and call us crying and things and saying, we just want to come back. We just want to come back. We hate it here. And, and, Mm. you know, and so they're, they're playing on, on heartstrings too. Right. And, um, and so we tried to fight to, to get the kids back with us. But during this process, Um, he, he really went into kind of a psychotic episode where he thought, I mean, just an unnatural state of paranoia that was freaky and I didn't understand it. And he thought that he was being followed all the time. He thought people were tapping our phones. He thought that there were, um, 
listening devices out on the telephone poles and and mm. um, there was one day he thought that somebody had poisoned him. And so I took him to the emergency room and they did a toxicology report that showed nothing. That was when um, somebody, the ER doctor uh, said something about PTSD. Has anybody ever talked to you about PTSD? And I was like, thank you. You know, um, <laughs> finally. <laughs> yes. But, but so nothing ever really came of that though. Right. Just, just no, you haven't been poisoned. Everything's okay. And it kind of brought his mind down. Well, the next week um, he called me from work. Oh my goodness. He, he was frantic and screaming and thought that his boss was an alien and that he needed to kill her. And I was like, hang tight. I'm going to come get you. And <laughs> so I went and picked him up um, and took him to the hospital. And that's where he spent a month in the hospital sorting out reality. And um, that was when they gave him the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Mm, mm. And for yourself, did you ever feel like, you're in between his relationship with his ex. Did you ever feel like you're caught in the middle of it? Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> well, and the, the thing is, is that, like I said, I'm a peaceful person. Um, and honestly, I'm so full of love for all people. And I know what it's like to be the ex-wife. And so I had a lot of compassion for her. And, um, you know, being a single parent is an impossible job. And... So I wanted to be a support system for her, but she was, um, what I experienced was her maturity level couldn't handle that. And I very quickly found that I had to pull back my offer from being supportive because mm -hmm. it was so toxic and, and strange and I couldn't, I couldn't get on board with that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. 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 I suppose like when you meet someone like that, that's really reactive at everything. And for example, if you were the same, then it just would have been chaotic even more. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. it was better for me to just bow out and, and stay on my side of the fence than try to <laughs> interact with that because yeah. Um, she's, she was fiery. Mm. And when you guys got the diagnosis, how were things after that? Was it a case of going on to medication or was the treatment offered or? You know, um, I mean, I, I know that you're in um, Ireland. Um, so in, in the U S we have um, a hospital that's specific to veterans. And, um, and so you know, mil a military hospital, right? And mm. they are seriously underfunded, seriously understaffed. And so many veterans kind of get lost in the system. And um, mm. so although he, he did, you know, he started getting on medications. I mean, I, I don't even know how many different concoctions we tried. Um, it was a lot and all with, you know, horrible side effects to mild side effects. But, um, he just, 
he did kind of get lost mm. in the system. He didn't, he, he didn't really get like they, they, they did send him to a counselor for a while, but this counselor fell asleep while he was in a session and Jesus. it just, yes, it just frustrated him. Right. And it was like, okay, I guess what I have to say doesn't matter. So I'm never coming back. Thank you for your time. So, um, yeah, it's that it's, it's hard enough to get someone to go to a counselor. Yeah. Yeah. And when I do, and that's the response you get. It's just like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was frustrating, definitely frustrating. And, um, and so, yeah, so it just, it eventually, you know, over the course of some years, um, it got to a point where he stopped the medications because of the side effects. He stopped the counseling because of that. Um, and uh, back to self-medicating. Um, I did manage mm. to mostly help him understand he shouldn't be drinking. Um, cause that just brought out a completely different animal. Um, when he was drinking and on meds. Well, when he was just drinking with bipolar disorder, I don't know if everybody with, you know, experiences that, but, um, it, if he was drinking, it just, I, I, I couldn't even figure out how to help him anymore. He couldn't listen to me. He couldn't hear me, see me. It was just all about him and the addiction. You know, that's another thing with bipolar mm. disorder is um, addictions are so front and center with that, that illness. So. Mm. And how, how was he towards you? Like, was he abusive and things like that? He was very abusive, um, not physically abusive, but um, pretty much every other way. Um, um, it, but like I said, it wasn't consistent. Mm. It, the, mm. You know, when he was clear, when when he was um, not drinking, there were a, there were long periods of time where things were okay, um, mm. but he would be triggered by something which could be as simple as a barking dog. Um, mm. that wouldn't, wouldn't stop barking. It would trigger oh, yeah. some kind of, you know, sensory in him that would, it would throw him. And, um, all of a sudden life is hell and I don't want to be here anymore. And it was just like this anger and, um, his words were like, I, I would say it's like a, he's wielding the sword around and we're all like trying not to get sliced up by it. Um, cause mm. his words were brutal. And, um, you know, so it was a lot of verbal, emotional, psychological abuse. Mm. So. When this was happening, did you ever feel like, obviously you, you, you wanted to help him. That was your goal. But did you ever feel like I'm not getting out of this situation? Like I'm, I'm stuck here. <laughs> Yes, because, all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I'm um, guessing you, because, you, couldn't let, you couldn't leave him. Well, no. I mean, I was in a s- situation, and I know that so many people got, get into the situation where you love somebody, right? Even though you know you might need to leave, there is always this conversation looming in the air about suicide. And so there's always, and so there's another, you know, kind of form of abuse is, well you know, 
if you leave, I have nothing to live for anyway. So, you know, Mm. and so there was always sort of that going on and, um, causing fear. You know, I, I didn't want to leave even, you know, leaving kindly and just saying, I'm sorry, I need to, I need to help you from here, not here. Mm. Um, it, there was still that conversation that I just, I, I could hear in my head and, and I didn't want to be, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with that. Um, and so I did, I kept juggling this, you know, over and over and over. Hmm. Mm, suppose should you leave and something happen, then you you take on the the blame and the guilt will come with it as well. <laughs> I yes, I I mm. I really did believe that that yeah that would be the case at that time. Mm. I my I'm totally different now, but um, yeah, back then I was mm. really caught in this cycle of fear. So, and when did you start to? understand like the knowledge you have now obviously you've gathered it over a long period of time so when all this was happening for example like bipolar bipolar disorder did you understand those things yourself or was it like what the hell is this (laughs) what we're gonna do with it (laughs) no um by the time we got the diagnosis i knew him very well um Mm. i know him better than anybody in this world and i I could just look in his eyes and see when he was running the show and when bipolar was running the show. Um, it mm. was very obvious to me and I could see the, the, the windup also like, uh Oh, you know, here comes an episode, which was good because then I could kind of brace myself for it and, <laughs> you know, shelter the kids a little bit and, mm. you know, and they were teenagers by then they were, you know, fully capable of like, I'm out and <laughs> yeah. have friends or, you know, <laughs> some of them were even adults and moved out by then. So, um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I did, I spent a lot of time trying to juggle and control and manage the situation um, rather than looking at myself and what do I need in this scenario? And so it was just, you know, mm. I kind of talked about, you know, the abuse that I experienced at seven years old, I went into survival mode at seven years old and I stayed in survival mode for 40 years. And so functioning in survival mode all during bipolar disorder was just second nature for me. Mm, mm. And do you think obviously what happened to you in childhood and the role that you took on, you still in that role in it is, yeah, very much in a so. dysfunction. Protecting everybody around mm. me. Yes. I I I was the one experiencing the bulk of the trauma. And in my head it was kind of like, okay, well, as long as I can manage this and juggle this, then I'm saving everybody else around mm. me. And, you know, um, and yeah, it it did very much become me sort of keeping the secret. Um all to myself. Nobody knows what I experienced in those episodes of bipolar disorder. Um, they have their own stories, which I'm not going to touch. Um, that's their, their story, their emotional content. I, I can only at this point in my life connect to my own experience. And this is where I assign my own meaning to it. And, um, and it wasn't all bad. Mm. It wasn't all ugly. (laughs) Mm. 
and I see the purpose. I see the reason why I was there and learning all of this. And um, yeah. And did you ever feel like for yourself, did you ever feel like you can speak to someone because you had, you had this role of responsibility. Often that means that I can control everything and I don't need to speak to someone because I know what's going on, <laughs> even though it's too much. Well, I, I was very well aware that it, it was so far beyond me. Um, I knew that I was trying to control and balance the situation, but I knew that it was a situation that was out of control. And I did try to talk to members of his family. Um, I did not get good response. I did not get good support from his family at all. I love his family. Um, they're my family too. You mm. know, I, I, I grew to, to really love these people, but they did not offer support for me. There were times where we were right in the middle of an episode that was just like him being hauled off in handcuffs. And I reached out to a member of his family and they were just like, I, no, I'm not doing anything, mm. you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not asking you to help him. I'm asking you to help me. But um, it just became very clear very quickly that I was on my own with it. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't really share anything with my family either. I was, it was that protector yeah. in me. I, I didn't want to bring anybody else into this trauma. You mm. know, they were already experiencing little, little spurts of it. And, um, and I, I felt protective of my family. And so I didn't talk about it. Mm. Mm. And do you think, maybe a question of him, do you think that he kind of, because he had you there, he never turned his family and that kind of created a barrier? Did he ever turn to his family for help? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, he has a mother that's been very, very supportive of him. And mm. he's got a, you know, a couple of brothers and a sister. And um, his brothers also are very supportive. Um, you know, they all take good, good long breaks from each other. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they all do really love each other too. And so mm. he does yeah, have that support. But I know that when he would go into those episodes, nobody wanted to deal with it. And I was sort of already front and center. And, and I kind of think that once, once I came into the picture, they were like, okay, yeah. you know, he's all yours. Yeah. And, and that was it the end. <laughs> Let, let's pass him on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Yeah. And did did any of this um have any effect on the children in the house? Oh definitely. Oh definitely, yes. Um this isn't something that I talk about a lot, but you know, your podcast is don't be afraid to talk, so here I go. Um my children are very angry that I stayed in this relationship for so long. Um they aren't talking to me specifically right now. Um, I have five kids and, um, they all have just basically said, go do your thing. I can't, I can't deal with you. Um, and, and that was painful because one of my childhood mm. wounds is abandonment. And so, um, they definitely scratched that, that wound with, with that, but, um, I fully get it. I, I, I validate it. I, I understand it. I don't blame them one single bit. Um, mm. I want them to grow and, um, be their own person. You know, I was never, a, 
I don't know, sometimes I feel like maybe I should have been more of a disciplining mother, but I wasn't. It was kind of like I, my, my dad said to me early on in my, my youth, um, whatever decision you make comes with, with a consequence, whether it's good or bad. So you have to be willing to deal with those consequences. And so that's really what I raised my kids with. Like, make sure your decisions are based on your acceptance of whatever the consequence is in the end. And I, I did kind of give them sort of a lot of leeway to figure things out for themselves. And so, you know, they grew up to be beautiful and brilliant people. And um, I have no doubt that um, they're doing beautiful and brilliant things right now. I, mm. I always just say my love for them is way bigger than their anger. And so when, when they want to, you know, come back and mend some relationships, I'm here with arms and heart wide open, but um, right now they need to be angry and I'm okay with it. Mm. Mm. Things like that can, definitely have an impact on children that we're not aware of Um, because if there's that much chaotic in a house and that much trauma it's I know you you want to you want to and you have in your mind that you're in control of everything but with children you're not really that much in control and that's something that we just yeah. Although we and, try to do it, it's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. And as much as I try to protect them and keep it all away from them, and I just, I couldn't, they just saw too much and hurt too much. And, and, and I'm glad mm. that, that, you know, it, it didn't sit well. I'm glad that my kids are strong enough to be, you know, to use their voice and say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Um, Mm. I'm proud of them for that. And I raised them to have a voice because I didn't have a voice as a kid. I was very much, um, you know, uh, abused for trying to express a voice as a child. And so um, I- You learned to be quiet. I did. I learned to be quiet. I learned to keep secrets. I learned to stay, you know- inside keep everything inside and and push down and and i i didn't want my kids to have that and so i'm i'm proud that they're using their voice right now Mm, mm. and in your relationship when did things start to change as in when did you you mentioned that you guys got married as well we did yeah we were together for eight years and we were married for eight months um Mm. And, and I, yeah, the, the very end, it just became very clear to me that, um, I need, I needed to go. Um, and this was, I mean, I, I could go into, I, one of the topics that I speak about, um, on podcasts is my relationship to my journey of love, um, Mm -hmm. understanding love in, in various ways, every experience of my life. Um, big experience was based on a lesson of love. And um, this final sort of lesson that I was learning was self-love. And Mm. I came into it quickly. Um, I think I had a lot of divine inspiration and help in that regard. Um, And when it was time to go, it was very clear. It's, it's, you need to go. And um, because of who I am, I didn't leave with a lot of anger or judgment. It was more about, I, I hope that, that you can figure this out, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm loving you from afar and I'm loving me now too. And, 
Um, Mm. And that was the best way for me to go. I, I'm a soul that is absolutely incapable of hate. And so, um, you know, I support his wellness, I support his growth, but I, I won't, um, I left with boundaries, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm, mm. And that was new for me. <laughs> mm, mm. When it comes to leaving a relationship like that, often, well, often it's difficult and yes. Like for you, you said when the time was right, you knew yeah. this is. So I'm just trying to understand, like, was it a case where like you just kind of say you woke up and you're like, right, I'm, I'm done. I just can't. Well, not in an angry way. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, um, so it, this really gets into the conversation of, um, you know, angels and, and dream work and, <laughs> and like really like very deep conversations that really I would take up a whole nother hour. Um, <laughs> but, but honestly, I was, uh, here's my, my quick version. Mm. I was told through divine intervention, you can stay. And the only person that you'll ever, ever help in this life is him, or you can go and you will help thousands of people including yourself and him. And for me, that was just like, I got to go, you know, because I know that I was meant to go out and be a caregiver and a healer and, and, um, Mm. you know, be a source of love in this world. And if the only person I was ever going to help was him by staying that, that didn't make any sense to me. Mm. So I, I was, I was very deliberately, helped in that regard that it it this is the time you, yeah you've learned the lessons and it's time to go and that that was really when when i connected with self-love and mm. and that was kind of the final big lesson for me so it's like i have to put myself first yeah. yes yeah yes because i'm not going to be good to anybody else in this world if i don't no no we often think if i just keep doing and giving and eventually yes. things will change and people will change but yeah but that's being a martyr and i'd played the martyr role for 40 years and i, I think my soul was <laughs> like, pretty much yeah, done with like, that right. let's do yeah i've been there done that let's do something else now. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and you know the thing is is that i absolutely honor his role in my life i honor the lessons that he was able to teach me through the bipolar disorder that he had you know and i know that um i provided lessons for him too um his you know he and i have had these discussions um i am the only person that approached his illness and his um traumatic responses with love and not abuse. He was always abused as a result of these episodes and and reactions. And I was the only one that just kind of stayed in a loving space. And, and that helped him understand, oh, I am a human who is worthy of love, Mm. you know, Mm. and he's done a lot of work since I left. Um, It's been about a year and a half. And he's on a really good regimen of medication. he has done a lot of soul work and he's in a really good place where he's starting to go into self-forgiveness and, um, Mm. and self-love, which is so amazing for somebody with bipolar disorder. Mm, mm. I'm guessing. Sorry. 
go I was just going to say statistics for suicide in the bipolar community is staggering and very upsetting. Um, it's like up to 50% of pe people with bipolar disorder will actually attempt suicide and 15% of those will actually succeed. Mm. Um, and it's because they just don't feel like there's any other way, you know, that there's no help and, and there is, um, mm. but they need a good support system of people that are willing to set boundaries and, you know, give themselves self-care, but also stay into a, um, in a space of love. Mm -hmm. I, su I suppose for him as well, with his bipolar, he's used to people reacting to his reaction. Absolutely. That, that's all he knew. So when you came yeah, along, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. mm -hmm. it's like a, yeah, I actually, it's like a game of tennis and no one's playing back. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I actually had to tell him one day, if you're looking for somebody to abuse you, you've got the wrong person. I'm not going to do it. You know, mm. I think that threw him. He was like, huh? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? We're not fighting right now? What yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> you just, it just automatic for them. Like, and it's not their fault, yeah. but that's just what they're used to. So when someone's yeah. not responding, you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I can tell you, I mean, there was times where I wanted to like seriously punch him in the mm. nose, you know, because he was just like, ah, but, um, but I just always knew that that would only make things worse. I just had to hold space. So. Mm. You, you make it sound so calming. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what makes me so good at um, working with the dying <laughs> is because of where I resonate, you know, very calming space. Because mm, I can only imagine someone that's in, was in a situation you're in, there was a lot of back and forth. It wasn't just this calming person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I was, I was really good already before I met him at holding it all in not exposing the problem to anybody. Um, and honestly, when I was right at the very end of our relationship, I was 30 pounds heavier. Um, I, my body was just holding on to this emotional weight um, that I dropped in three months after I left. Mm. So, Although it looks good, yeah. but that, that's your, yeah. that's your res trauma response. <laughs> That was my trauma response was to eat and, and soothe myself in that, that direction and, and then hold it in. I think I was just creating this buffer around my heart mm. and my, you know, mm. and, and yeah, that wasn't healthy. <laughs> mm, no, no. What's one or two things you, you've learned from this relationship? Um, the biggest thing that I learned was the self-love. Um, it was coming into, um, I think, where I originally started from. You know, I was six years old before I ever knew what trauma looked like. I felt joy. Um, and I, I always say that seven years old is where I chose to split because it would guarantee I was not old enough to understand anything and I would be required to walk through or crawl through, right? All of these different lessons to get me back to here. And 
that was my circle of wisdom um, to kind of get me back into this space. And I can absolutely honor my needs now and um, express them, you know, talk about it. Um, I still do feel Mm. like I need to protect people, um, but I can also... I can also, you know, get it out and, and be exposing, you know, here's where the problem is. Here's how I dealt with it. Um, it really taught me, um, you know, uh, this big concept of love that I go on other podcasts to teach and, and talk about, um, mm. it, it pulled everything together for me. And, and now I just, I'm able to just sit in the source of love, knowing the lessons that I learned were because I chose all of this. I chose every single moment of this life. I chose, you know, whether it was before this life or in this life, I chose that seven years old was where I was going to do my split. I chose and made soul contracts with people that were going to help accelerate this learning process. And it was going to be abusive, but when I finally stepped into a space where I realized I chose every single moment of this, whether it was in the, you know, before this life or in this life, that like just fully opened the doors to forgiveness and you can't fully heal from anything until you forgive. So there's my lesson. Mm, Have to let it go. What advice would you give to someone that's going through similar thing like being in a relationship with someone who has a mental condition um absolutely set boundaries um boundaries are essential because bipolar disorder will consistently try to cross those boundaries so you got to hold strong um make sure you have a wide extensive support system um not just family but friends therapists you know um groups, places that you can go to have people Mm. to bounce thought and experience and trauma off of. Um, I would say therapy, but not just talk therapy, but EMDR, because it helps balance the right and left hemispheres of the brain and and helps you come Mm. out of um, your own trauma response to these things. Um, Research research so extensively the mental illness that you're dealing with and come to understand it like it's an, a friend. Um, and then mm. the biggest thing, just consistently leaning into love. You know, when things hurt, lean into the love, try to find the lessons around it. And, um, but, you know, last, but certainly not least, if you feel like you're in danger, it's time to, it's time to go. And let that be okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Feel that you have to go. That's when you know. When the feeling comes, don't fight it. Yes, trust your intuition. Your gut is always telling you the truth. Mm. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant. I wanted to ask you about Earthside. (laughs) That's your your company, is it? Yes. Yeah. Earthside holistic is the technical term, but yes, I, I go by Earthside. And is that the, what do you call it? The deaf doula? Sorry, let me just, so the deaf doula, is that, what is that? Sorry, let me start again. So 
Um, so essentially the role of a doula is to be a caregiver and typically they're known more in the birth world. Um, but they're also coming a lot more into the public eye in the end of life as well. And it really is a compassionate caregiver and companion that helps support the transition from life to death. And, you know, that, that can look like almost anything where they're mostly to honor their process and their journey, whatever they want it to look like. And, you know, so we can just go in and kind of do some practical care, like mm. cooking meals or, um, you know, helping with some laundry or something, or we can go in and really dive into some um, deep discussions, um, help create legacy projects and, and help the family members. We can be there long after the death too, and, and helping the family to kind of process things and holding space mm. for them um, in during that process. Cause it can be kind of hard to navigate and people who work in end of life are typically pretty called to mm. do that work. And so, it, um, so they're a really good resource. Is this, were you doing this in the hospital as well when you worked in the hospital? When I worked in the hospital, I was working as a CNA and I was a, I had an administrative support role as well. Um, and so, but I did get so much experience just sitting and holding the hands of the dying, holding their family. Mm. Um, and that's where I realized I had a, a pretty, you know, deliberate ability to, to do this work. And as much as I kept trying to be a birth doula, life kept pointing me in the de direction <laughs> the of death. Part. Just <laughs> yeah. wanted me. Yeah, exactly. So I am a student midwife. I, I am going to be a midwife. But I when I when I graduate um, with that degree, I'm going to bring it into the death world too. Mm. So, yeah, we yeah. talk about death like it's this bad thing that happens. <laughs> I, it's, oh, it's so not, it, I mean, we're all going there, right? We're all headed there. And so I, it's just so vital that we start opening that conversation and being okay with it. You know, you guys in the UK, Ireland, are Ireland. Like, <laughs> so yeah, Ireland. Okay. Ireland, the UK, you guys actually do honor your dying a lot better than the U S does. Um, we have such a fear based around it, but there's a beautiful woman based somewhere mm. over there. Um, her name is Felicity Warner and she, she kind of coined the phrase soul midwife. And that is a person who takes care of the dying. And, um, uh, she does brilliant work and, um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot easier, I think, over there to, to talk about it and to um, involve people in it than the U.S. because we're so fear-based over here. You know, death is the enemy. We got to prevent it. Yeah. Not. It's like, yeah. yeah don't, don't talk to me about subject. it. <laughs> so depressing. No. Like, if you talk about it, yeah, it's going to happen. Like, no. You're not speeding yeah. up the process. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just a, no. yeah, just a conversation. And um, yeah, it's just, yeah. Um, and my final two questions is, what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Um, mm. <laughs> so many things. Gall. I So I'm sitting in my my little house, and it, I'm basically live in a greenhouse. I have plants everywhere. And I don't know if you can see this lighting in here, but it's purple because it's plant lights. I basically live in a greenhouse. Um, that makes me really happy. Um, 
going into nature. A lot of clean air. Yes. Uh, going into mm. nature. <laughs> um, just being a part of people and planet is really like my, my happy space. Mm. Mm. Earthside, I suppose. Earthside. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> and uh, what's one thing you're proud of? I am. Whew, there's a lot of things I'm proud of. I'm, I'm proud of um, the lessons that I've learned. Um, they've been vast and they've been hard. Um, maybe even impossible, but um, they're all beautiful. They're all mine. I'm also very proud. I, I think I mm. kind of touched on this. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of who they are and the, you know, the beautiful, amazing, brilliant souls that they are. So. And you're proud of yourself? <laughs> I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Just important yeah. thing. I've I've come a long way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> took me yeah. forty years, but I came <laughs> a long way. So what's time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I think that's all my questions. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> if you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page don't be afraid to talk or DM me on Instagram the show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode if you haven't already please download leave a rating and share with your friends you might just reach the person who needs to hear this message please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes I am James Lumumba signing off with gratitude